I know your bulletin said 1 Corinthians 11. Sorry, Jim, if you're watching this, but it's going to be Luke 22, okay? <laughs> Luke 22. We're going to be talking about table manners. Today, as you can see, we're going to observe the Lord's Supper together here in just a few minutes. And the Lord wants me to speak to you uh, about that event and how you and I should approach that. I'm sure all of you probably have a wall in your house that's full of pictures, photographs, um, snapshots framed of people in your life. Some have passed on, some have gone on, some are still alive. And when you look at those pictures, it reminds you of them, doesn't it? And it touches your heart when you see those pictures. They're not there to uh, remind you what they look like. They're not there to uh, remind you necessarily of who they are. They're there to remind you of what they meant to you and what they did with you and what you did with them. And, and they bring back fond memories, those pictures that you have on your wall. You know, if it was up to my wife, we would have every wall in our home full of pictures like that. Praise God, I have a little influence at my house. And uh, there are some walls that don't have those things. <laughs> I'm teasing, you know, but I, I, I am serious about her in the pictures. But I want to say this. The Lord gave us a picture of himself, a snapshot of something that we can look at and remember what he means to us, what he did with us, what we've done with him. And that snapshot is a picture of the Lord's Supper. Okay, so let's stand and read Luke 22 and let's uh, look at the first uh, of these Lord's Suppers that have gone on for centuries now that Jesus has uh, returned to heaven. He left us this picture. We're going to read it beginning in verse 7. Okay, the Bible says, Then came the first day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. And they said to him, Where do you want us to prepare it? And he said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house that he enters. And you shall say to the owner of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large furnished upper room. Prepare it there. And they departed and found everything just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. Verse 14. And when the hour had come and he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never eat I'm sorry, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this. In remembrance of me, verse 20, and in the same way he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of the one betraying me is with me on the table. 
For indeed, the Son of Man is going as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to discuss among themselves which one of them might it be who was going to do this thing. Let's pray. Father, bless our morning together as your body here at Aaron Springs. And Father, help us to reflect on this moment long ago as you instructed your disciples. And I pray, Father, today that you would again instruct your disciples as they are filling this room today. People who love you, people who serve you, people who have been saved by you. Perhaps, Father, there's one here that's not in that group. I pray today you place them there through their faith in you and what you've accomplished in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. A snapshot of Jesus, what he means to us. We can see that in in this picture of the Lord's Supper. You know, some churches uh, observe the Lord's Supper weekly. And some of them do it quarterly like we Southern Baptists do. Some churches might do it once a year. It doesn't matter when you do it. It doesn't matter how often you do it. What matters, according to Scripture, 1 Corinthians specifically, what matters is how you do it. Okay? And I don't mean the procedure. I mean the way you come to the table. The way you have table manners before the Lord. What you think, what you've done, how you approach that table, the manner in which you approach that table. That's what matters. Coming to his table with manners. Now, there are some things I want to bring out in our text in Luke that shows us how we should come to that table. The first one is on the screen. Come to the table looking to yourself. Look in verse 21. But behold, the hand of the one betraying me is with me on the table. Now this is the last time that the Lord's going to be with these men at at a particular setting like this. Sharing a meal together, specifically the Passover meal, has significance to all of them. But it's the last time that they're gathered as a group together and Jesus drops this bombshell on them. One of you is going to betray me. Now, you know, we, we, uh, we know who it is. We, we understand the story. We, we've read it before, but for them to hear that at that moment, it would be unthinkable, right? And, and immediately what each of them would do would be to say, hey, we are the faithful 12, and yet we know the Pharisees are opposed to you and betraying you. Could it possibly be one of us? Could it possibly be one of us seated here in this auditorium today that would be the one that had our hand on the table with Jesus and we might betray him even after taking the meal with him or prior to that? Could it be somebody in our midst? You know, this news then led them on to a discussion and a debate amongst themselves beginning in verse 24 about which of them was the best or which of them was the greatest. And we're not going to go there this morning, but that's where they went. Now, before that discussion came about, we read in another gospel, the gospel of Mark, this is what was happening. 
when Jesus said those words. Mark 14, 19, they began to be grieved and to say to him one by one, surely not I. Every one of them, according to Mark. When we go to Matthew's story, Matthew says it like this. And Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Surely it is not I, Rabbi. And Jesus answered and said to him, You have said it yourself. And so we see that the eleven said it with sincerity. Right? They were... Looking within, wondering, am I the one that's going to betray him? Have I done something wrong? Have I, have I not got myself, am I misunderstood all of his teaching? Am I not aware of what's really happening here? Am I the one that could betray my Lord? They all looked within with genuineness, right? Judas, he's already sold out. He's already received the money before this night. He says it. To cover up his deceit. He says it because he doesn't want to be caught in the group. It's interesting that when Jesus said that, all the disciples or none of them said, I know it's Judas. Because Judas was a good player. He was a a good follower. He he could fit into the crowd even though he wasn't part of the crowd. He, he He was deceiving even of himself perhaps, but whatever the case may be, these disciples questioned themselves. They looked within themselves. When you come to the Lord's table, you got to look within yourself. Now they answered, it is not I, is it? Because they were probably lacking confidence in their spiritual strength. They, they weren't sure that they were up and up with everything. And so they questioned even themselves. Surely it's not I. But on the other hand, we know that Judas is the one who would betray him. Judas tried to cover up that plan. First Corinthians, Paul tells you and I, before we take the Lord's Supper, to examine ourselves. He says, look within yourself. So this morning, I want you to do that before we take the Lord's Supper here briefly. You can do it starting now all the way up until the time we take it. But you need to look within yourself at what... God sees and what he wants you to deal with. Failure to do that, according to Paul in Corinthians, brings judgment upon yourself, brings God's discipline upon yourself. Paul mentions some of you have become sick because of it. Some of you are ill. Some of you are asleep or have died because you come to the Lord's table in an ungodly way, not looking within and taking care of yourself and him before you Take this supper. That's how important it is to the Lord. I know a lot of times we take it as routine and we just go about the Lord's Supper and yeah, oh my gosh, it's going to take longer today. (laughs) Some of you have already thought that, haven't you? But for the Lord, it's not that way. It's very important to Him. It's It's a snapshot of you how you can remember him and what you uh, can accomplish through that remembrance. So how do I look within myself? Well, I got a couple of ways you can start. Number one, examine your attitude. Look in verse 17. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks. So Jesus came to this supper and he began it with the giving of thanks. Now the 
Passover meal was established back in Exodus, right, when God delivered the Israelites from Egypt. And the Passover meal celebrated that deliverance. And we all know the story. The sacrificial lamb was slain. The blood of that lamb was put upon every home that had believers in it. And it was sprinkled or spread upon the lintel over the front door and down the doorpost. When the death angel came to kill the firstborn of every home, the death angel would pass over the home that had the blood of the lamb on the doorpost. So we got the Passover. And the Jews celebrated that, and they still celebrate that today. And you and I celebrate that. We call it the Lord's Supper. But in actuality, it is the Passover Supper. So you talk about you, some churches do it every week. The Jews did it once a year. Jesus said, Paul said, do this as often as you do it in remembrance of me. The timing is not critical. It's the way you approach the supper, the way you approach the meal that is the critical thing. So Paul, or the, the Lord tells us here in, in Luke that we need to uh, come to that table with thanksgiving. It's a time for you and I to be thankful for the deliverance of ourselves from the bondage of sin represented by the Israelites in the bondage in Egypt. Jesus also calls this a, a time of hope, right? He talks about the kingdom. He won't drink this fruit of the vine until he does it with us in the kingdom. There's a clue. Amen. He can't do that unless he's resurrected. He can't drink in the kingdom in the future unless he's alive. And therefore, he proclaims his resurrection right in front of these men. He says he will not do that again until the kingdom. And so we need to examine ourselves. Uh, we need to do this before we partake. We need to do it with thanksgiving. We need to do it with hope. We need to do it with joy. Some of you today do it with grumbling or complaining. Preachers getting into my pot roast or whatever the case may be. You are in despair about the Lord's Supper, right? How is your life marked with thanksgiving for what he's done for you or by gloom and despair because we're taking more time than usual? John Piper said this on the screen. If I can get that to work, here we go. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. When you take the blessings of God and the glory of God and the life with God and you live in that, it produces joy. It produces hope. It produces excitement and thanksgiving. And so as you are enjoying God and giving Him praise, He's glorified in that. Amen? That's what John Piper is telling us there. So how is your life marked generally? Joy and happiness and thanks? Or are you gloomy? despairing of life, worried, complaining. Step up to the plate, my friend. Get close to the Lord. Come before Him with thanksgiving. Lift Him up in praise. That's how the Lord wants us to live. So we need to start focusing on God's gracious salvation. Examine yourselves through your attitude or examine your attitude when you come to the table. The second th thing to do is examine your actions. Look there in verse 21. 
But behold, the hand of the one betraying me is with me on the table. What a shock to the disciples to hear that right at that moment. Betrayal is a a terrible thing, is it not? It's a horrible thing. But just not Judas betrayed him. That very night, Peter, the Bible calls it, denied him. But it's betrayal. Amen. It's betrayal. The disciples all scattered at his arrest in the garden. They betrayed him. So we want to blame Judas, and certainly we do. He's responsible for that. But there's times that all of the disciples betrayed him in one way or another. I hope this morning that none of you are in the danger of betraying the Lord today or tomorrow or the day after. You need to examine your actions, examine the way that you're living. We're all prone to betraying him. We all have that selfish nature within us. We all have sinful behavior from time to time. In fact, we, just like these disciples, we want to talk to one another about somebody else and and say how bad they're doing because it makes us feel better. And therefore, we're doing just what these disciples did, debating among ourselves who's the greatest, who's the best. I'm better than him. I'm better than her. You see how that happens? We we don't mean to do that. We don't start out to do that. But that's where it goes. Why? Because we're, we're sinful. We have to guard against that. We have to examine our actions in everything that we do. Examine my pride. Examine what I've done this week. Did I honor Jesus in everything that I've done this week? Or did I dishonor Him perhaps in some way? Am I going to come to the Lord's table today without repenting of that dishonoring of my Lord and take this supper this morning in an ungodly way? And by the way, if you don't take the supper, it doesn't matter. Okay? This is not the the judging thing. Oh, I can't take that. I, I didn't do it right this week. Okay? That's not how you do this. What you do is you get yourself squared up before you take it. And you can do that in a moment. You can do that in an instant. You examine your actions. You examine your attitude. Another way that you can do that is to examine your affections. What's valuable to you? What's important to you? Jesus said in verse 15, He comes to the table like this. I have an earnest desire. I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you. Now, how could the Lord say that when he knows where he's headed the next moment? He's headed to be arrested. He's headed to trial and he's headed to the cross. But he says to them, I've earnestly desired to do this with you. Wow, what a Savior we have, right? He has a strong desire to do that. The Bible tells us there's no greater love That a man has than to lay down his life for his friends. Jesus told us that. There is no greater love that you and I will ever see than Calvary. Amen? No greater love. Grandma can't match that. Grandpa can't touch that love that Jesus gave us on that day on Calvary. When he laid down his life for us. Wow, what a Savior we have. Has your heart been right before the Lord? Are your affections lined up correctly? 
Have you turned from your sin? Are you serving Him? Are you filled with His praise today because of what He's done for you in your life? Did you come to church with a, a grumbling attitude this morning? I'm giving you a chance to change that. To rearrange that. To make it right. To give Him honor and praise. Charles Spurgeon spoke on the uh, Lord's Supper and he gave an illustration of a woman named Mrs. Toogood. And Mrs. Toogood misread the church bulletin. And she thought that the Lord's Supper was going to be next Sunday. And so that week, she didn't drink any of her alcohol. She didn't go play cards. She didn't go to the casino. And she got to church and she realized that she had misread the bulletin and it was actually the following Sunday. And she told one of her friends, I wasted a whole week getting ready for today. Is that you? Are, are, are you wasting your time today by being here? Are you wasting your time by preparing your heart to meet the Lord in that snapshot of the Lord's Supper? Do you waste your time by trying to live righteously around your family or your friends? Is that wasting your time? Listen, check your affections. That woman was not affectionate toward the Lord, was she? In any shape or form. She was affectionate towards her own desires and her own ways. That's not a love for Him. She wasn't forsaking her sin. We need to be ready to come to the table with proper manners, by examining our attitude, our actions, and our affections. Now when we come to the table looking at ourselves, that would lead any of us to despair. If you look at yourself long enough, you're going to despair. Amen. You're going to feel uh, broken about who you really are if you are honest with yourself. So a wise man said this, for every look that you take to yourself, you need to look twice to Jesus Christ. For every look that you look within, you need to look twice to the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because He's our hope. He's our joy. He's our life. He's our salvation. He's the only one that can really help us. So when I look and come to the table, I look to myself, but even more so, I need to look across that table to my Lord and Savior. Today, I want you to focus on that. Do that in your mind's eye. You're sitting with those 12 in that room. Jesus has spoken about somebody betraying him. You've questioned, is it me? And then he continues on, and now your focus goes towards him as he begins to teach you about the new covenant, about his body being laid down for you. And, and that's what I want you to see by looking at the Lord. Jesus laid down his life, right? Now, he, he understood sovereignly what was going on. Verses 7 through 13 that I read to you just a moment ago were talking about where they were going to have the meal. And Jesus instructed John and Peter, you go on into town and there'll be a guy carrying a pitcher of water. You follow him into the house. You talk to the owner of the house. Tell him the teacher needs a place to meet and he'll show you an upper room. You prepare the Passover there for us. They get there, and it happens exactly like he said. Jesus is in control. Amen. He's in charge. Nobody's slipping up on him. This, this crucifixion is going to surprise him. He's preparing his people, his disciples, and himself for this. 
He's going to have one good last talk with these men in the upper room. In fact, if you read John chapter 13 through 17, that whole four chapters is in that upper room that night. John 13 through 17. Jesus teaches His disciples all those things you read about in John. So God is sovereign. He's over that. Even His betrayal, He's in charge of that. Look in verse 22. For indeed, the Son of Man is going as it has been determined. But woe to the man by whom He is betrayed. Jesus is sovereign over His death He's over, sovereign over the betrayal. He's sovereign over everything about it that's taking place. Judas surprised the 11 disciples when he betrayed Jesus. But he didn't surprise Jesus, did he? Why? Because Jesus knew this man. Jesus knew that Judas was the person he was. Judas was predetermined, even in the Old Testament, prophesied about him betraying the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet he's still responsible. Because it was his heart that was deceived. It was his heart that led him to sell the Lord out. It was his sin and his nature to be that way. Judas surprised the leaven, but he did not surprise the Lord. Even Jesus' death was no accident. Amen? Didn't just happen by chance. Jesus spoke about that in, in John chapter 10 on the screen. For this reason the Father loves me, because I laid down my life, that I may take it again. No one has taken it for, away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up Again, Jesus was not surprised. He is in charge. He is sovereign over everything. We need to look to Him as we sit across that table and realize this man laid down his life for you, for me. We need to understand that. We also need to understand as we look across the table and come to Him that He knows our heart. The Lord certainly knew Judas's heart. He knew every disciple's heart. You go on down in the chapter into verse 31, you see him talking to Simon Peter. And he says, Simon, the devil wants to have you. He wants to sift you like wheat. But he said, Peter, I'm going to pray for you that you will be strong. And when you turn, I want you to encourage and teach your brothers. And Peter says, hey, I, I'm not going to mess up. I'll go to the death with you. And Jesus said, Peter, before the rooster crows in the morning, you're going to deny me three times. Jesus knew the heart of Peter. Jesus knows your heart. How foolish it is for you and I to hide our sin from Jesus. It's as foolish as Judas to think that you and I could hide our sin from the Lord. He knows everything about us. So what can I do? Surely it's not I, Lord. Surely it's not I that would betray you. You might be saying that. Surely it's not I, Lord. What do I need to do? I need to confess to Him. I can't hide my sin. I need to confess it. Step up to the plate. Confess it to Him. He's willing and ready to forgive you and restore you. But you must confess it. You must admit it. You must come to Him across from that table, look Him in the eye, and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. And I need Your grace. Because I've done this or I have done that. And he'll say, I forgive you. Now I want to restore you. Amen. That's what he's waiting on. Look to the 
Lord Jesus Christ across that table. Another thing we need to do is look to Jesus, his death on the cross, right? We need to understand that, to look at his death on the cross. You know what? That uh, central theme in the Old Testament, if you think about it, was the exodus out of Egypt, the salvation of God's people from Pharaoh and Egypt, representing sin and the devil, God delivering people from the devil and the sin that had them trapped. We come to the New Testament. What's the central theme of the New Testament? The cross of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul preached, and only did he preach that, and the resurrection. So the central theme was the deliverance of God's people. And what did they do in the Old Testament? They celebrated that every year with the Passover meal. And so the central theme for you and I is the cross of Christ and the resurrection of Him. And we celebrate that every time we do this. It's a celebration of being delivered from our sin and from Satan into the kingdom of God. That's what we do here. Yes, we remember Him. We are instructed to remember Him. But remember what about Him? That He did this for us. Amen? He gave His life for us. He laid it down for us. He knows my heart. I look at the cross and I understand that the Lord's Supper is in remembrance of the deliverance that Jesus provided for me. I could not wait to participate in the Lord's Supper. It is humbling to participate in the Lord's Supper. It's humbling to understand what that bread represents and what that blood, that juice represents. It's humbling to to see that. The last thing I want you to see is that Jesus and His resurrection and His promised return give us assurance and give us hope. Look in 16. He said, For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Verse 18, For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. It's coming. Amen? It's coming. You and I are just prior to it. The next step in Bible prophecy is the church being removed. So the wrath of God can fall on this sinful world. The next step. There's not going to be anything else. He's not coming before that. He's not coming to do something else. There won't be a great movement of any kind here, there, or everywhere. The next step in prophecy is the church being taken and the wrath being poured out on the world. Man, it could happen in our lifetime. I always say that, don't I? If it's going to happen, why didn't it happen to us? Why can't it happen to us that we would be the ones caught up in the air and lifted out of this place? Amen? Think about that. Somebody will be alive when that great day happens. All of this points to the future. Jesus' physical kingdom on this earth. He's not talking about a heavenly kingdom where we don't need to eat or drink. He's talking about a physical kingdom where He will stand and sit on His throne and judge the nations and eat and drink. And that's what He's referring to. I will not do that again until 
the kingdom of God comes. Yeah, we know He is the kingdom of God. We know wherever He is, the kingdom of God is. He told the disciples the kingdom of God was in their midst. That's because He was in their midst, right? The kingdom of God is within you. The Holy Spirit is within us. But there will come a physical time of the kingdom. Whether you and I are there or not is not important to me. If I'm back on this earth in a millennial kingdom, it doesn't matter to me. I'll be with him or I'll be at home either way. The point is that Jesus is saying it's coming. It's going to happen. It will be accomplished one day. If his death accomplished our salvation, how much more will his life give us all things? Amen? So I can't wait for him to come back. I can't wait for his kingdom to come. I can't wait for it to be established on this earth. When I come to his table, I need to bring my manners. I need to look within myself at my actions, my attitude, my affections. And then I need to look across the table at my Lord Jesus Christ. And I need to understand that he did this because he loved us. He did it because he understood our hearts. He did it to give us a hope for the future. He did it to accomplish our salvation. His plan, his laying down of his life, and the being raised again was all a part of God's beautiful plan. Today, we're going to get ready right now to observe this supper together. And I want you to examine yourself. It doesn't take long. You don't have to lay out a big sheet and mark all the things that's wrong in your life. The Holy Spirit will show you right now as you bow your head and silently speak to the Lord and ask Him to reveal anything that's wrong in your heart. Then what do you do? You repent of it and you come to this table seeking forgiveness with thanksgiving. Father, we ask you to bless this moment. Father, we ask you to speak to every heart in this room. Help us to glorify you in our life by enjoying you, by being in your presence, by giving thanks to you, by receiving your blessings, by proclaiming you to our family and friends and people that you put in our path. Help us to enjoy that life, Lord, that seems so vague and so far from so many Christians. Help us to come to the table today repenting and rejoicing at the same time. I pray that you give us a moment, Lord. Speak to our heart. Reveal our sin. Forgive us, Father. And teach us your ways. In Jesus' name, amen. I will